Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Tom, for those of you who don't know, and I want to thank those of you who have joined us in person today for uh, making the trek and uh, persevering through the uh, um, uh, fall day that we have outside, the nice fall day. Uh, thanks for being here. I thought winter was supposed to come December 21st, but you think I would have learned by now. That's never happens here. So thanks for being here. And thank you for those of you who are joining us online today. And whether you're sick or you just couldn't be here today, thank you for giving us some of your time. And uh, I pray that you'll be blessed or have already been blessed in our, in, in our time together today. And I want to start today with a statement that I'd like you to think about whether you agree or disagree. Okay, so... We're going to start with this statement and focus on it throughout the message. And the statement is this, close connection to Christ is essential to navigate our confused times. So close connection to Christ is essential to navigate our confused times. Now, I don't think that most Christians would have problems with the first part of that statement. Close connection to Christ is essential. And if you want to grow in your faith, and if you want to grow in Christ, you need to be closely connected to him. And that's what we're taught throughout scripture. That's what we try to uh, adhere to here as a church, that we need to be closely connected to Christ. The disagreement might come in the second part of the statement. The last three words, our confused times. And the question is, do you think we live in confused times? And to be confused is to not think coherently or rationally. It can mean to incorrectly identify, associate, or differentiate. So, you know, say, oh, I think that that person is that person. No, I think you have them confused with someone else. So that's the second type of confusion. And the third type is something is confused if it is without order or jumbled. So do we live in confused times? And according to the mainstream of our culture, we certainly do not live in confused times. We are told we are the most advanced and intelligent people in all of history and we are moving towards true freedom and the full realization of human potential. And the reason we are in, able to experience this is because we are leaving behind all those constraining, limiting things from the past. So we can forge ahead into an exciting future as we discover life beyond the limits of things like religion, old authority structures, and limitations. So now we live in this time of great experimentation where the belief goes that humans by themselves have the intelligence, will, and wisdom to figure out the new world. And a supreme value in this culture is individual autonomy or self-rule. It claims that we have the freedom to be whoever we want to be, to do almost anything that we want to do as long as we don't hurt anybody, and if anyone dares to tell us how to live, that's oppressive and bad. So we're told we must completely reject any external 
constraint or instruction on how to live our lives. And when we do this together, we're going to reach the highest levels of satisfaction and happiness. So the question is, is this happening? Have we arrived at some great moment of discovery where the vast majority of people are content, satisfied, progressing in their lives? Do you encounter happy people wherever you go? Are we becoming a better society and a more unified community? Would people look at us and say, there's a prosperous and successful people. They can accomplish anything. Look at their widespread happiness. Is everything getting better? Maybe, except for the price of groceries. Have you noticed that lately? Except that many young families especially can't even afford to get into the housing market even though they have two incomes. Except for the political polarization in our nation, which is the worst I've ever seen it in my lifetime, except for the epidemic of anxiety and the mental health crisis, except for the massive confusion among our young people about identity, and in addition, the mainstream culture claims that we're so much better off now that we no longer believe in absolute truth. We have no baseline then on which we can make decisions, orient our lives, plan ahead. But the culture says this is good because then we can realize our full potential free from the constraints and oppression of the past. And certainly there has been injustice and wrongs committed in the past. Some in the church have done wrong. Clergy have done wrong and violated their positions of trust. The Bible has been misused to justify slavery and racial superiority and the putting down of women. But does that require that we throw out the truth and God? Which is the other implication of a society built on personal autonomy or self-rule, God must be deleted because if the highest value is personal self-rule, God has to take a second place or a third place or hundredth place in our lives or we simply delete God and we delete truth and everyone pursues their own self-rule and preferences. It's so great. Or is it? And remember the definitions of confusion. Something is confused if it is without order or jumbled. So does everyone pursuing their own self-rule and preferences sound like a recipe for order in a society? To be confused is to incorrectly identify, associate, or differentiate. What if we have incorrectly identified who the best person or group is to rule the universe? We think it's us and have deleted God who we think is either bad or doesn't exist. And to be confused is to not think coherently or rationally. Well, is it rational to conclude there is no such thing as truth, which in itself is a truth claim. But apparently everything is great, or it's not. 
And if we allow ourselves to think about that second possibility, we have a choice to make. We either face the possibility that everything is not great and the direction that we're going is not the right direction and that life apart from God and truth is actually not good for anyone or we deny the possibility that everything is not great and many choose to go down that second path because it seems easier. It's hard to face reality but the problem with ignoring or avoiding reality is that it eventually catches up with you. Reality is what we run into when we're wrong, one author says. That's why we call it a dose of reality. It's like a wake-up call or strong medicine to snap us out of our fog. But what if facing reality was actually the key to moving forward in life? What if facing the pain of the present could lead to healing in the future? What if there was someone who could see us through confusing times? So again, our statement, close connection to Christ is essential to navigate our confused times. That's my statement. And you might think I'm totally wrong. I'm just an old, cranky, white guy angry that my power has been taken away. Well, I'm certainly old, and I'm white, or somewhat pink, uh, depending on the day. I don't think I'm cranky. I see my need to grow and to learn from other people and learn other perspectives, but I just ask you, ask you to consider the possibility that we live in confused times. And if that's true, we need not despair. Because so many Christians have faced confused times like we have. Maybe not exactly the same iteration or makeup, but they've faced times where they've been confused and wondering how to go forward. And some of those Christians were the Christians at Colossae in the first century. Some persuasive people were pressuring these Christians to conform to what they were saying about the way they needed to live their lives. And it was so threatening that we think the founder of the church, Epaphras, went to the Apostle Paul for help. And Paul writes the letter to the Colossians that we now have in our New Testament as a response. And today's passage that we're looking at most directly addresses the false teaching that was threatening the people there. Paul is going to redirect the church's focus to the one person who can clear up the, any confusion. And in him, they could find their baseline. Close connection to Christ would enable them to navigate their confused times. And I pray that today, we will gain courage again to discover the same thing. Close connection to Christ can enable us to navigate the confused times that face us. And I pray you'll be encouraged in that today for anything that is in your life that you're confused about. And so our text today is Colossians 2 verses 16 to 23 or page 835 in the Bibles in front of you. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, Colossians 2 verses 16 to 23. This is Paul writing. And to the Colossians he writes this, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. 
These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together, through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now this is a tough passage because it's like listening to one half of a phone conversation. So we only get bits and pieces of the false teaching of what it's really constitute or what really constitutes it but the most important thing is what Paul says to the Colossians on how they are to respond to this false teaching and he basically commands them to resist the pressure from those who are advocating the false teaching and he does this following a pattern and the pattern goes like this first he utters a command. Then he comments on the false teaching or the false teachers, and then he gives a reason why they are justified in resisting this false teaching. And he does this pattern three times within this section. So command, comment on false teaching, reason for resistance. First, this occurs in verses 16 and 17. So the command is, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. And the therefore refers back to verse 15, which says, God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him or in the cross. So therefore, in light of the fact that God has disarmed the rulers and authorities, let no one pass judgment on you. Which is an interesting command. How do you stop people from passing judgment on you? They just do it. So is Paul commanding the Christians to somehow stop those people from passing judgment? How would you even do that? Hey, would you yell at them? Hey, stop passing judgment on me. And they might stop speaking, but they still think it. So this command must mean something different than trying to prevent another person from judging us. And I think the best explanation is to see that the judgment that they utter or conclude leads to something else that's very tangible to see, and that is exclusion from the community. So this is more about the false teachers trying to exclude the Colossian Christians from true community, saying, well, you know, because of what we see, you're not really a Christian or you're not really experiencing spiritual fullness. 
So that's the command. Stop. Don't let people exercise or pass judgment on you. That leads to this exclusion, this excluding behavior. So on what basis do they pass judgment? That's in verse 16 as well. And this is part of the false teaching. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So it seems that what the false teachers did is they claimed, well, true Christians are going to uh, follow this particular diet. They're going to eat and drink and they're going to participate in these certain festivals and new moon celebrations and Sabbath practices. And then they would look at the lives of other Christians and say, oh, well, they're not following the dietary rules or they're not observing the right festivals. Therefore, they are less than, therefore, they're not true believers or whatever they were doing. And this can happen among us. This has happened among the church where we have clear ideas maybe about sinful, obviously sinful behavior, obviously God-honoring behavior. We get that from the lists in Scripture. You'll see one in Colossians 3, 5 to about 14, which you'll look at next week. That's a, a, a sin list and a, and a godly living list. So you've got some clarity there. But what about those areas in the middle? where it's a bit gray. And Christians can do this. Let's take drinking alcohol, for example. Some Christians drink and some don't. So some who don't may elevate abstaining from alcohol to almost a salvation test or a mark of spiritual maturity. And then they see another Christian drinking alcohol somewhere. Oh, well, I don't know if they're really a Christian. Or it can go the other way, where the drinking Christian judges the non-drinking Christian as ridiculous, old-fashioned, someone who's not worth getting to know. You see how, how that judgment and confusion can happen, where you elevate these secondary issues to almost points of, of uh, salvation tests or spirituality tests? And we also get this kind of pressure from our culture. I don't think our culture pressures us regarding food and drink, necessarily. But you might get some strange looks if, say, you didn't participate in Halloween last week. Or if you don't drink at a company function or don't have a second drink like everyone else does. Or you don't partake of whatever is offered at the party. Or if you don't laugh at the joke that everyone's laughing at. Or you don't affirm what everyone else is affirming. And if you dare post anything online that goes against mainstream culture, prepare to be judged and canceled and condemned. But Paul says, don't let anyone pass judgment on you in these areas as if they hold the key to exclusion or inclusion of God's people. Why? Verse 17 these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So those practices listed in verse 16 may have had valuable purposes in the past, but they ultimately pointed to Christ. And since Christ has come, he's the ultimate substance. So if you remain closely connected to Christ, you can live with clarity, with confidence in him. So that's the first roll through this pattern. Command, comment, reason for resistance. Second roll through the pattern. In verses 18 and 19, command, 
let no one disqualify you. Let no one disqualify you. This is from the world of athletics. And the image here is of a referee or an umpire disqualifying a participant from competition because they don't meet certain standards or rules. And the false teachers were in some way disqualifying ordinary Christians from full spirituality. They claimed that since the others didn't experience what they experienced, they lacked spiritual fullness. And so he comments on what the false teachers were doing or teaching in verse 18. And he lists four actions or practices of these false teachers. One, they insisted on strict living or asceticism. And they may have thought that this strict or severe living somehow earned them closeness towards God or towards some spiritual being that could bless them because two, they worshipped angels. And again, this could have been an attempt to secure some help from a higher spiritual being, but the problem is angels are created beings and we need to be worshipping the creator, not the created being. Three, they went on in detail about visions, so the false teacher or teachers claimed, well, we had this incredible vision and all these different things about it, and you didn't have it. Therefore, you have to follow whatever teaching is in that vision. And they kept going on and on about that. And then four, they are puffed up, so they're prideful or arrogant. And maybe they were arrogant about their supposed knowledge of deep spiritual things or about this vision that they have. But Paul says they don't have any reason to be puffed up because actually their puff up Puffing up is based on their sensuous mind or fleshly mind. And then Paul explains the reason why these false teachers were engaged in all these other practices. Verse 19, they have not held fast to the head, that is Christ. They did not stay closely connected to him. They let go of their grip on Christ. They began to wander into all these different kinds of practices and ideas and beliefs. And verse 19 is where I got the first part of our main idea today. Close connection to Christ is essential. Holding fast to Christ is essential. And notice that when someone holds fast to Christ, according to verse 19, they connect to the whole body, which is nourished, and knit together through its joints and ligaments, and it grows with a growth given by God. So anyone that's holding fast to Christ experiences this protection, this growth, this coming together with God's people so that we can grow in God and in Christ. And it starts by holding fast to the head or keeping a close connection to Jesus. Well, how do we do that? And this past week, Pastor Sarah shared uh, a paper, a little paper with the staff and the elders that really does a great job in, in laying things out for us. There's two things or two ways that we stay close to Christ. First, we engage in the personal spiritual practices of Jesus. They're listed for you on the back of your bulletin there. Um, silence, solitude, and surrender. Scripture reading, memorization and meditation, prayer and fasting, generosity and giving, community belonging and participation, sharing our faith and witnessing, and depending on the Holy Spirit for power to live in a way that honors God. 
So those are the personal spiritual practices we engage in on our own as individuals. But God ordained that the Christian life should not be lived alone. We need to be in community to join together for some communal spiritual practices. So the second thing we do is engage in community or communal spiritual practices. And these include repentance and baptism and devoting, devoting ourselves to Jesus' teaching, to the apostles' teaching, to breaking bread together around the communion table, around the meal table where we fellowship together, praying together, caring for each other, meeting together. And all of these practices encourage this greater connection to the head who is Christ. And when we are connected to the head, we don't get confused or we can navigate our way through confusion, especially together. And then Paul brings this section home in verses 20 to 23 with again a repeat of the pattern, command, comment, and reason. So the command is in verse 20, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? So don't submit to regulations of the world because you die to your old life, to that life. And to die is to no longer be under the mastery of sin or the devil and his forces. And the devil will continue to try to regain mastery over us once we have come to Christ. He makes war against us. And sometimes he uses people who have powerful personalities or have charismatic personalities. And they like to impose their rules. Or they like to tell us what we need to do to be successful. Just follow my plan. Read my book. Do it this way. They construct a human-made religion where you can achieve a sort of self-salvation by your own efforts, which is very appealing to the pride of our hearts. And Paul notes that such systems or structures can seem to be a right pathway in verse 23. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And I think verse 23 nails the characteristics of a cult, of false religions, and of all kinds of self-salvation plans that are out there for people to follow you get a charismatic leader who insists on certain rules or you have someone with a powerful persuasive personality and they give out this information and this separates those who listen to it from everyone else and you claim you're the only one that knows the truth you feel special because you're part of the elite who know the truth or know this secret knowledge and you have all the ingredients for self-made religion. But it's of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh, Paul says. Because it's completely external. It's just doing things with no heart change. And the only one who can change our hearts is Christ. And the true path to spiritual maturity is holding fast to Christ as the head. Not following misguided human rules. So that's a little walk through this passage. And the statement again, closeness to Christ is essential to navigate our confused times. I think the evidence 
around us points to the truth of that statement. You might not, but I'd ask you to consider that. But regardless, I have a couple of questions to end our time together today. Question number one is simply this. Are we thinking, speaking, or acting in any way like the false teachers? Where we conclude, you know, certain people are not Christians because they don't measure up to our list of do's and don'ts. Now, I'm not talking about the obvious sinful things that are found in Scripture. I'm talking about the gray areas where Christians disagree. And if we think our practices in the gray areas are almost like scripture we have to reevaluate if we're using that to judge other christians and exclude them secondly and more importantly the most important question how is your connection to the head to christ are are we holding tightly to him are are you engaging in the core practices of jesus are you participating in the communal practices of the church and if you are keep going by the spirit's power and encourage others to keep going and if you aren't confess that to the lord and then get started or restarted with your intentional connection to Christ. Start reading your Bible. Start praying again every day. Join with other Christians regularly. And together, we can encourage one another to stay close to Christ so we can navigate confusing times. Let's pray together. And Lord God, we thank you that you are not a God of confusion and disorder, but you are a God of truth and peace. And though there have been many assaults throughout history on your character, on truth, you remain true. And the Christian faith has persevered for those who hold on to Christ as their head. So help us as a church to continue that journey. This church, you have blessed, Lord, with a very strong heritage of holding on to the head, Christ, and his word. And we thank you for that. And for those who have gone before us to set this pattern. And we continue to need to grow and to mature and to explore and discover you. But we are holding on to you as our head. Help each one here in their individual lives to hold tighter or to encourage someone close to them to hold on. And will you empower us to remain faithful? We need your strength. We need your help to resist and to navigate through the confusion in our lives. But we thank you that no matter what comes, you, Jesus, are sure You are the solid rock. You are truth. In you is truth and way, the way and the life. And we thank you that no matter what we face, because we have you, we can go forward. Grant us wisdom on how to live that out in a way that is winsome in inviting others to join us on this journey and yet solid in our resistance by the attempts of our culture and others to make us conform to something that is not of you or not true. 
I pray for all of our young people, Lord. I have no idea what it's like to be a young person today. The world has changed so much. But you do, and you care, and you're aware, and you can be their solid rock through whatever is going on. And so I pray, Lord, that you will reveal yourself as the certain and sure rock for our young people today. And that we as a church will continue to live out that encouragement and support through the opportunities we are given to relate to them. Thank you that you are the head, Jesus. We give you glory and pray this in your name. Amen.